Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. And this week I'm back with another uh, section of my conversation with Ed Moll. Last week's podcast we heard from Ed about his church, which is a Church Society Trust Parish, and we heard some really interesting developments uh, happening there. But I also wanted to talk to Ed about his recent book, Anglican Elders, which is published by Latimer Trust. And so you can hear the rest of our conversation in this week's episode. So, Ed, while you're here, I also want to talk to you. You recently have published a book with Latimer Trust, Mm -hmm. uh, which I have a copy in front of me. It is called Anglican Elders, Locally Shared Pastoral Leadership in English Anglican Churches. So it's quite specific. Um, can you tell us um, how this uh, became something that you became interested in thinking about and wanting to? I think it was a demin thesis. Is that right? Did I pick That's that right, up from the book? Yes. Um, mm. um, but what was it that made you think this is a thing worth uh, giving some time and, and thought and consideration to? Um, I suppose uh, twin pressures. On on the one hand. Um, I and others, as we read the New Testament, we, we see that often leadership is shared. There are elders that are plural. So that's sort of knocking around in the back of the mind. And then a lot of us have spent our our kind of ministry years kicking around with free church friends. And they have elders and so on. And they keep asking why we don't have elders. So that sort of question came up. And then to cap it all, I was doing this demon at a Presbyterian school, and and so they're saying, "What you don't have else?" So it made me think about that some more. But it was a good setting in which to to think about that because it's it is a question that is lurking not far below the surface for many evangelicals, I think. Yes, and I think so. It kind of arises out of the fact that that in the Church of England, I mean, and in some other denominations mm. as well, but certainly in the Church of England, the there is this model of one clergy person one minister mm. who is appointed to the cure of souls in the parish and so you're set up to sort of do the work on your own and there are people in other roles and we'll, we'll maybe talk about that a bit mm. more later but but actually that one person who's the one ordained person who is the church leader who is the incumbent on their own and increasingly not just in one church but you know maybe with two or three mm. churches um to look after what are some of the problems that that perhaps from your experience but also from your research of of that kind of one person on their own in church leadership model um i think some of the problems are uh, i mean psychologically that the burden is is now too great for for one person to bear so within christendom where people were were kind of largely christianized just needed a little nudge on the tiller, I mean, a bit more than that, but um, the minister was able to, to do some of that. Uh, but now in post-Christendom, disciples need a lot more care because they're coming to faith with with a lot more intellectual baggage. It's much harder to, to live as a Christian. And then the setting in which they're living as Christians is also much more challenging. And so just the work of supporting someone in discipleship is much more challenging. Um, and the work of ministry is is more demanding emotionally. Yes, and I wonder if if some of that um, is not just our post-Christendom world, but also our sort of modern world where people uh, live much more transient lives, they move much more, and so, you know, people aren't growing up in Christian families, but even if they were, their family isn't necessarily around them, there aren't those sort of natural 
support networks, which in a Christian world can be discipleship structures. But actually, you know, if you're moving every four or five years, starting with new friends, you don't have your family around, you're looking to your church to do a lot more of that work for you anyway. Um, mm. and, and then, as you say, many of us just starting much further back because we're not coming from Christian homes and, and there isn't a Christian world around us. So a lot more work for the vicar to do. Um, also, so just that, that, larger mm. parishes as well, I think. So, I mean, we mentioned uh, when you were talking about uh, where you are, sort of 1,800, 2,000 people. My, my parish, where I, the church where I go to, I think we have 8,000, and they're building a housing estate of another 6,000 mm. in the next few years. That's just a lot, you know, even if they were all wonderfully spiritually mature Christians yeah. to begin with, that's just a lot of people, isn't it? That's right, yes. I mean, our, our whole parish is, is more like eight, eight or 9,000, but, okay. uh, but the number of clergy overall have, has shrunk and the population around the country has grown. So, yes, that's, that's harder. And, of course, we've got all, all the compliance stuff that we didn't used to have before. <laughs> so the job has got harder, but it's, it's mainly, I think, this, the, the psychological impact of trying to do discipleship, and particularly if, if you're wanting to have difficult conversations with people, um, the the minister can feel very isolated, yeah. and so there's a psychological thing there. There's a, um, uh, I suppose a, a, a missional um, aspect as well. That that's really what we talked about. But the difficulty of of making disciples, just how mm. much work it takes, and and one person just there isn't enough of him to to go yeah. round. Yeah. Um, but then there's there's also the, um, is it healthy? for a church which believes in every member ministry, which believes that God has given the church a variety of gifts and no one has all no one person has all the gifts for everything to be focused in one person when um teams seems to be for a variety of, of good and biblical reasons um a much more appropriate model. Yeah. So there is a sort of disconnect between we we read the Bible and it's pushing us in this direction and then our our polity is saying, oh well but actually, but really. it's really only just this one mm. that that matters. Yeah. So when when you talk about teams, you talk about this in different ways of sort of plural leadership and and leadership teams. What do you mean by that in practice? So, I mean, in in some churches, you know, it's very obvious. You've got a very well, I don't know, if it's very obvious, mm. but certainly if you've got a very big church, you can imagine that happening a number of ways with a, a paid staff team, for mm. example. But in in many churches, that's not the reality. So. Uh, I think in the book you, you explore several different models of, of what that kind of leadership team might look like on the ground and how it relates to mm. things like church wardens and, and PCC members. So could you just maybe explain a bit more about what you mean by this idea of a, a leadership team within a church? Yeah, so I, I get to it by a bit of a roundabout route because um, what we're looking for is, is um, a... A broad pattern so rather than simply saying well in the new testament there are elders therefore this is that um anglicans tend to take the view that um the new testament gives us principles and this principle is of, of shared ministry and i was looking specifically at and i think it's right to do that the, the sort of eldership type ministry so that's teaching and pastoral care of individuals and how that is shared with people and within our setting, essentially, those responsibilities lie with the incumbent. Yeah. And so it's a question of sharing the incumbent's ministry. And it's not taking anything away from the PCC or the church wardens, which I'll come back to. 
So these churches I looked at, um, so I interviewed nine, nine ministers who do this, have got a system where they have identified people who will share that kind of leadership with the minister. So they will have some, in, some involvement in preaching um, but, and some involvement in the pastoral direction of the church and the pastoral care of individuals, where pastoral care is not just the sick, the sorrowing and the sinning, but, but also those who need developing and um, uh, so all of that sort of yeah, positive proper side discipleship in, in its right. broadest kind of sense, yeah. And so um, we came up with this phrase of, of the, the who knows Eric test. <laughs> and that is when, when somebody comes to notice, either because they're a bright young thing or because they could do with a bit of support, the question asked around the room is, who knows Eric? Let us say the people who are sharing this pastoral care with the minister um, need to be engaged enough in the congregation for someone to be able to say, well, I know Eric, he's in my home group or whatever. Yeah. And then you can share the care of that person in a sort of joined up way but with people who've got not only a relationship, but also have a, I suppose, a, a stake in the overall shape and direction of the church. Yes. And um, so that is a is a sharing of the the eldership function mm. within within that. Um, now, having got to the point where where that's what you're trying to do, <clears throat> there are then different ways that it can be done within the Anglican setup. And what I discovered is there is no single way of doing it. Right. So w- within that mix, you have um, church wardens are one possible set of people to rest on. Staff are another possible set of people to rest on. Um, and then other suitable people. And one of the convictions that um, <clears throat> was present in the, the people I was talking to was um, that it shouldn't just be staff, but there was a sort of ideological commitment to the idea that it, there should be members of, if you like, lay members of the congregation engaged in that leadership. Um, so, and What was the reason for feeling it shouldn't just be paid staff? Um, I think so that the, um, the idea of keep watch over yourselves, the, 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 the incumbent had some people alongside him um, because staff in the end do work for him. Yes. And it, it's... it's that asymmetry in the relationship can can make it harder. Yes, I see what um, you mean. It's not yeah. just a kind of bottom employee relationship. Mm. There's something yeah. different, and and actually having somebody who's not on the staff can provide. And there was something. That. Yeah. And there was something beneficial about that, although they recognised that it it slowed things down, because um, you have to bring these other people up to speed to what it is that you want to discuss, um, mm. and they that was frustrating at times until they settled on how they were going to work. But they, it was it was beneficial in terms of recognising that the the pastoral care of the church is um, is looked after by some leaders of the church. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so different ways of, of configuring that uh, that could involve staff, but also uh, non-employed uh, members, mm. people from the congregation could involve church wardens but not necessarily. Just um, Maybe you could say just a little bit more about church wardens and PCC members and why mm. that's not a sort of one-on-one map with, with what you're talking about in, in these kind of leadership teams. Yeah, so one way to think about it, I mean, it's, it's not a very good way to think about it, but if you're having conversations with your free church friends, they're wanting to know 
where do wardens and PCCs fit into things? And if you want to create a, a sort of equivalence, then church wardens, when you look at their responsibilities and when you look at the qualifications for office, they are deacons. Um, in my mind, who who can be elders if they are people of the right character, but their their job description and their job qualifications are certainly nowhere near the qualifications to be an elder. So in the book you, you distinguish, I think, very helpfully between the, the cure of souls and the mm. care of stuff. That's and right. the sort of official responsibilities of the church one are very much focused around the, the care of stuff, yeah. isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And, and then the PCC, the most helpful way I've found to think about the PCC is the PCC functions for us a bit like the membership of an independent church. Because we don't have a proper membership which we can call on to make decisions, the PCC is the decision-making body. Um, but it's not an eldership um, because it doesn't have qualifications uh, for office for that and actually its remit isn't in eldership either. It is the care of stuff. Mm. So they are sort of deacons or lead deacons or membership type people. Yes, and, and sort of they're a, a representative body of, of the laity of the church. And That's right. So and rather we, than, as you say, kind of call on the whole church body mm. to, to make decisions that we say, well, we've elected these people who are from among us and they can make those decisions on our behalf. But, but yeah, That's without right. that and extra... Because sometimes we have issues and people say, well, shouldn't we ask the whole church? And thinking, well, no, you're, you are the decision-making body. Yes. And at the back of my mind, I'm thinking... And how would I work out who the church membership is? <laughs> yeah. I know, and we all know how well having a referendum works out because it's sort of that—it's <laughs> that equivalent, isn't it? You know, we elect our MPs to represent us, not mm. so mm. that we then yeah. don't have to make all the decisions yeah. by referendum all the time. And and it would be very wearing, I think, to do that in a church. Well, and what the PCC forget is that um, we'll have been talking about, or I've been yeah. drip feeding. They're up to up to speed on some of these issues that they then have to make a decision on. Mm. Whereas if we take it to the church, we have to start right back at the beginning. And some of these things we might have been talking about for a year or two. And and so they serve the church by putting time in so that they all make decisions on behalf of the church. So the, the PCC, so it's an instinct, a right instinct to want to share pastoral leadership with somebody. The PCC is just not the right group yeah. to do that with. Yeah. Um, but in some churches, the the el the uh, the church wardens are people who who can and should be elders, and so the vicar and wardens group can become some that becomes yeah. that sort of eldership group, and um, and then in in other churches, what they've done is said it's just not big enough. So really, the the eldership or the ministry leadership team was the term I used, just to kind of make it the same for everybody. It is essentially a bigger vicar and wardens group, but you recognise that um, you have to impose a, a sort of a voluntary constraint as to who can be in that group because mm. people can be church wardens who will be excellent church wardens who will be deacon type people rather than elder type people. So in the um, churches where you were uh, interviewing and, and seeing mm. uh, how this worked out in practice, um, I mean, you mentioned that there were there were sort of lots of different ways of doing this. Um, did that become a sort of by invitation group? How was the group perceived by the rest of the church? Was the um, yeah? I'm I'm just kind of trying to work out mm. if one were thinking about setting something like that up. How would you 
how could you present that to the mm. church? How do, how do you sort of explain to people what it is and, and who's on it and why and, and those sorts of things? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I suppose I didn't talk to them particularly about how they introduced it, but it, I think it would begin with, a, if you like, a, a hunger or a desire to reflect this sort of biblical pattern. And it's, um, I came across this phrase that it's, it's the best social setting for the Jesus-like use of authority. And so we're not saying that plural eldership is right because that's what we see in the New Testament. We're saying it's right because it is a setting which enables us to behave more appropriately in the exercise of authority and pastoral care. Mm. So teaching will be the first thing to kind of create the hunger for what we are not able to do with a, with a sole pastor structure. The second would be, um, um, I suppose, some way of thinking about how these people, men in these cases, would be um, chosen and um, approved, if you like. And, and typically, I think that the, the elders or the leaders would suggest people and then the church somehow, PCC or members or whatever, would approve them. Mm. So that, that they... Um, but actually, I see that pattern in free churches as well. So the elders would make a proposal and the members would agree or not yes there's always a slightly um complicated relationship isn't it because whichever way you do it the people who are choosing their leaders or approving their leaders in some sense are exercising authority over those who are their leaders and i think in free church it's where things go wrong sometimes if a if a relationship Mm. breaks down that becomes very difficult and and who actually Mm. exercise power and you wouldn't want to set something up in a way um, that divided people, I guess, against... Um, no, that's right. So it's a, it's a case of, of kind of working that through um, and respecting the existing structures. So one of the things to be taught through and thought through is what is the relationship between this ministry leadership team and the PCC. Mm-hmm. And my sort of approach has been to say that the the ministry leadership team is is sharing the responsibilities that currently are only the incumbents. So it, it's affecting his work, but it's not really taking anything away from the PCC. Yes. Um, now, there are a couple of areas that kind of left us as loose ends, and, and one of them is that relationship between, if you like, the ministry leadership team and the PCC, or in a number of other churches between what you might call the elders and what you might call the trustees. Right. Um, because the PCC, in the end, signs off on the financial issues. So the elders might say, we believe God is leading us towards making this appointment for a member of staff or doing that church plant, but legally the PCC signs off on the budget, and so they can say yes or no. Um, But in a membership church... The elders would say we want to do this, and the members would still also sign get off to vote it. on it. Exactly, and and you know, there's a, a right, uh, an appropriate thing mm. about that that actually it is the church, and and mm. you know, much as we believe God has given us leaders to teach us and to to guide us and to pastor us, He hasn't given us leaders to mm. be tyrants and dictators, making mm. decisions against the will of the people either. But yeah, so one one way. To kind of not quite get around it but to think about it is is it's not so much either or as but who, who signs off first and last so the elders would be the ones giving shape to the proposal and thinking it through and working that through 
and then they would put the proposal, say, to the PCC, who would sign off at the end, and, and would be a sort of check on does this hold water at a number of levels. Um, and that that doesn't completely undermine the authority of the, the elders. Um, and in some churches, so proprietary chapels, um, where you have trustees as well as a church council, I think... I mean, in our setup, because we're a registered charity, the PCC members are trustees, so that that's their role is to, yes. to sign off in the end yeah. on what's been put together from yeah. a pastoral point of view. But it's it's something to kind of think through and something to assure people that their their role is not going to be taken away. No, um, <clears throat> but it's how they how they fit together. And I I sort of explore a couple of different ways of doing it. Mm because um, the particular context or the particular reason why people want to set up a ministry leadership team um, may be different. So yes. in, in some it's a single congregation, but they want better pastoral care across. For others, there are multiple congregations, and, and one of the ways to ensure that each congregation has proper coverage is to set up a team that looks after yes. that congregation, and, and then you have to have a, some way of of keeping the whole together. Yes, very interesting. Um, one thing uh, which uh, I was thinking about, and, and as I say, I, I have not read the book in thorough detail, so I may have missed where you talked about this mm. a bit more, but I did pick up one little part uh, where you were mentioning about the role of women uh, mm. in these leadership teams, and there was a sort of a comment from one of the people you talked to who's kind of, we haven't really worked that out yet, we don't really know where they mm. fit and how. Because um, it does seem to me that a lot of what you're talking about, um, particularly as we're thinking about the who knows Eric and the mm. pastoral care and responsibility of the congregation, is something mm. that you would want women to be involved in at some level. Mm. But also... Um, if we're thinking about this particularly as forming the role of the elders, that does seem to be a role which is for men. Um, mm. and, and so I just wondered if you had any further thoughts on, on how you relate those two things, the kind of right responsibilities of women um, in caring for uh, a church congregation uh, and distinguishing this as a, as a role of elders for men. Um, I... I would love to have a kind of clearer answer than I do. I, I come away convinced that this is definitely a, a right thing to be wrestling with um, because there were these, these two convictions that, that eldership is appropriately for men but uh, women need to be involved and have their voices heard. So um, there are a couple of ideas that people tried. So the first was they had a ministry leadership team but they might invite if you like, non-elders to that team for a variety of reasons. So they might invite the administrator to be present to keep everyone on track. So, um, But then if that administrator happened to be female, that provided a female voice, um, they might invite, um, they might deliberately choose to retain a female church warden who is, if you like, a deacon type person, but is able to, to speak um, mm. in that setting. Um, or they might invite um, a member of staff um, uh, to join the team. So there isn't a sort of nice, neat answer, um, which I think is right, because in a sense the neatest answer is to exclude the women, and that's the wrong answer. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, if you start 
providing pastoral care for women second hand so that the elders speak to the woman in charge of pastoral care for women and then she eventually goes off and talks to, to Betty or whatever by the time Betty gets her care, it's been through so many hands that nobody really has got first-hand experience of who knows Betty. Exactly. You lose that thing that I thought was very helpful mm. that you talked about. It's the person who not only knows Betty, but also understands what the church is trying to do and, mm. is, and is part of that sort of decision-making mm. process. And it's the yeah. being able to unite those two things together that says yeah. we know our people and we know our church. But if you, if yeah. you yeah, are just delegating that down the line, you, you lose that. I think. So, so there wasn't a, a, a good answer to that. But I suppose in the background is that small groups were the front line of pastoral care for a lot of it. And um, I think most of the churches who had multiple staff would also have made em- employing a, a woman pastoral worker a priority so that they could ensure that the women were cared for um, with quality staff if I could put it that way you know mm. people who got time time and and um uh training yeah to do that yes but then how you also relate that woman that you've employed to to this kind of role which we said mm. isn't just a staff role it's it's complicated isn't it how how does mm. this work in your church Ed um that's a good question and it's an awkward question so um I have an assistant minister um, who is male, uh, and that's the the pastoral staff. Um, we have a pastoral visiting team which contains men and women, and they will help with some of the pastoral visiting. Um, but I I don't think we we have got a, a kind of particularly joined up um, system for this at, at, at all. And in terms um, of how you think about your leadership team at church so mm. you and your assistant minister are your church mm. wardens involved at that sort of level as well or do you have others from the congregation or um, em- embarrassingly i i haven't yet put this in place and <laughs> this is Fine. this is actually one of the reasons i was drawn to the project was thinking i i really would like to know more before i go down this route sure. so um at the moment i think people would say that todd and i act as the elders mm. Um, church warden um, kind of supports me, but we don't. There's only one church warden at the moment, but we don't meet as a three three people to do pastoral care. But Todd and I will do that, and then um, he will share that with with the pastoral team. So at the moment, it's just two of us, and I would like to make it more. Yeah. Um, and as as the um, team grows, uh, we, we've been a bit bigger in the past, and there we did have a woman worker and um, we essentially did it as a staff meeting. So we haven't yet got to the stage where we've we've got non-staff people um, okay. as part of our eldership team. So, um, yeah, embarrassingly, that you'll have to edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting. And I, I sort of also think, um, you know, there will be lots of people listening to this who won't have even thought about this kind of possibility before or some who might be listening and thinking that sounds great I don't quite know where to start either and it you know it is a big shift in thinking not just for incumbents Mm. but also for their congregations and this the kind of thing that actually you want to take time and and think about the right kind of people and the right kind of setup uh, that would work in in an individual situation but I think I'm very persuaded uh by the need for 
incumbents to not be going this alone um, and whatever that will look like uh, in, in people's different situations to actually take on board that principle of how do I get mm. extra help and support in this really very um, demanding, burdensome kind of role I think is really valuable. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd observe there, there have been three things that have particularly pushed people towards this. So for some, it's um, to do with their charity status, particularly proprietary mm. chapels. They've had to think through their structures. For others, it's um, the presence of lots of non-Anglicans in church saying, how does this work? Yeah. What, what are church wardens? Where are the elders? All of that. And then the third is, is the incumbent realising either I do something or I go under. Yes, yeah. And... Um, that, that just isn't good for anybody. No, and it, it's not good for the church and it's not good for mm. the minister. Mm. So there we go. So anyway, people can find this on the Latimer Trust website. It's a Latimer study, number 85, and I'll put a link to it uh, on the website uh, when, the blog, uh, when the podcast goes live. Super. Ed, thank you so much for talking to us. You can find all our previous podcast episodes on the website. There's a link uh, in the bar at the top with the, t- with the podcast logo on it. And all 56 of our episodes are linked there, not to mention the six summer podlets uh, that Amanda and I did this year as well. Uh, it's been really exciting over the last year to see how the podcast has really taken off and, and found an audience. We're Uh, So glad that it's been an encouragement to so many people. Uh, People have uh, contacted me and and told me uh, how much they enjoy listening to it. Um, So I'm really glad to hear that. And I hope that it will continue to be the case. If there are things that you would like to hear me talk about, people that you'd like to hear me uh, interview, uh, or issues that you think we should discuss in the podcast, I'm always uh, interested to hear your ideas. You can email me, ros at churchsociety.org. I'll be back next week when I'm talking uh, to Amanda and we're discussing a really interesting book. Uh, It's the first novel that uh, we will have featured in the Church Society podcast book review series uh, and we've been reading Phoebe by Paula Gooder. Uh, So if you'd like to read that and then listen along to our discussion you can do so or you can just listen without reading uh, as well. I think uh, it will be really interesting to see how a book uh, from a very different genre, what that what we might have to learn uh, from something like that. So we'll be back with that next week. Uh, do you tune in again then? <laughs>